morning, everybody. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this sermon series on Courageous Community. We thank you that over the last number of weeks, well over 50 people have said, we wanna be involved in what's happening at our church. And as we wrap up this sermon series this morning, may we find ourselves deeply encouraged by what you are doing, by what's happening in our church and around the world. May everything that is spoken and said during this time together be done for your glory and your glory alone. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name, amen. A number of years ago, I was listening to an interview between uh, a pastor who had been serving for a number of years and a new pastor. And this new pastor said to him, uh, Pastor Bill, do you think that your services matter each and every Sunday? And this older, well-seasoned pastor looked at this young man and said, do you believe that life change happens every time you stand up and preach from behind that pulpit? And the young pastor said, well, well no, not, not every week. And the older pastor looked at him and said, then why do you stand up and preach? Why do you stand up and exposit that word of God for half an hour or however long you preach for if you don't believe life change is going to happen every single Sunday? I was a fairly young man when I heard that and it struck me. Do we believe that when we show up to church on Sunday mornings that God is going to change our lives and the lives of those around us? Over the last number of weeks, we've been going through this sermon series on courageous community and thinking about and talking about what it means to be a part of what God is doing in and around our midst. We've moved over the last 20 months from a uh, meeting in person almost exclusively to a hybrid style of ministry where there's people online right now who are engaging with a host, where there's people who are taking small groups and alpha online, and there's people who are meeting in our building at the very same time. Do we believe that on Sunday mornings, radical life change can happen? As we wrap up the series today, we're going to be talking about this idea of encouragement, and the passage is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Thessalonians is one of Paul's lesser-known books. It's, it's pretty normal to hear books from this theologically robust book of Romans and to, and to think this is, this is normal. We hear this all the time. Or from 1 Corinthians, this idea of the question and answer that's going back and forth between the Corinthian people and the Apostle Paul. If you've been in church for any length of time, you hear regularly about the pastoral epistles from 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus, or Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. But Thessalonians? It's almost like one of Paul's little sisters. <laughs> we just don't talk about. This is most likely the first letter that Paul ever wrote, probably around 50 AD, and is deeply encouraging. The Thessalonians are facing persecution, and Paul, who started the church and has since moved away, is writing to them to celebrate their faithfulness and challenging them to grow. And if you've ever had people over to your house, and you've had this wonderful time together, maybe it was with a significant other, with good friends, with family, and it's, you get ready to go at the end of the night, but the friends just don't leave. They put on their jacket at 10 o'clock, they know they should really get going, but it's 10.45 and you're still talking. You're still enjoying yourself. And the Apostle Paul wraps up his first letter to the church in Thessalonica with this idea. There's just one more thing, one more idea, one more piece of wisdom, one more closing thought. So with this in mind, as we look at our message today, the points might feel a little bit disjointed, almost like they stand alone, but they don't really work together. But all of them do. They're written to encourage the church, to strengthen them, to remind them how to live, and what courageous community looks like, starting in verse 11. This is 1 Thessalonians 5, 11 to the end of the book. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. 
We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Holy Spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and will surely do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I was trying to think, God, why do I have, why was it a rough week? And most of us have those busy seasons in life, right? If you're an accountant, March and April is crazy. If you're a teacher, Man, that report card season is a difficult time of life. If uh, There's so many different times for all of us that work that is just heavy and full. For me, it's the month of September. First weekend was the ministry fair. Next weekend, we did training day and Joel's candidating weekend. The last week, I had a wedding and then a congregational meeting, and I think my body just went, ugh. And then the Apostle Paul comes in, and he says, will you encourage everybody at the time that, of this writing, Jesus has been dead for about 15 years and people are expecting him to come back at any moment with persecution and hardship all around them. Certainly this can't go much on much longer, can it? Jesus is going to return at any moment, isn't he? Fast forward nearly 2,000 years and things haven't changed a whole lot. Christians are still facing persecutions regularly and all of us have this uncertainty of what the future has in store no matter where you live in the world right now. Whatever your stance on the political spectrum, whatever your views on vaccines, however you approach certain uh, ideas of conspiracy, there's all this uncertainty around us. Are vaccine passports here to stay? How long are we going to be wearing masks for? Is the season ever going to end? Will life ever get back to normal? Will the government ever be able to help us get out of this debt we're getting into? Is the government controlling us or is it protecting us? Is this the beginning of the end? Is Jesus ever coming back? And Paul is speaking to the Thessalonians exactly what we need to hear today. Encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Have you ever stopped to think about why we meet on Sunday mornings? I think the answer is right there in verse 11. The answer is to encourage one another and to build one another up. There are days where we read the Bible and we go, it's just words on a page. There are days where we pray and we think, is God, is the heavens like brass? Are you even hearing what I'm saying? There's days where we feel so much pressure, the best we can do is just show up to church on Sundays or small group on Wednesday nights. There are times where we look at our bank account and we think about how much we're supposed to give and those numbers don't mesh. There's times where we go, God, I just need to sit and listen to the people sing because I don't have it in me myself. We're coming through the front doors or tuning in online is hard enough. And yet we show up 
believing God is going to do something, hoping the music, the teaching, the communion, the relationships are going to be that life-giving part of what we need each week, trusting that a better day is coming. And the Apostle Paul isn't the only one who thinks this way. We also read that same line, encourage one another in the book of Hebrews. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Leading up to this, these verses, 20, uh, 22, 23, 24, talk about we have to grow in faith, we have to grow in hope, we have to grow in love. For those of you who missed last week, we talked about this idea of praying together. And we saw a short video of four guys who meet together every single Monday afternoon and pray together. And while that video was only four minutes, they sat on this, uh, stood on this platform for half an hour telling story after story after story talking about how Monday afternoons are this great time of encouragement, this great time of love, this great time of support, and how they look forward to Monday afternoons. I'm a pretty positive guy. I think I'm a pretty resilient guy, but it's people in my small group, people who have access to my life, who will continually encourage me and help me through the rough times. The book of Proverbs says some wonderful things. An anxious heart weighs a man down but a kind word cheers him up. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. As you think about verse 11, as you might have it in front of you, you'll notice that there's actually two one another's that are present here. Encourage one another and build one another up. This idea, build one another up, is a construction term the Apostle Paul is talking about, and it's the idea of a, um, building a house or erecting a building. And in courageous community, we take this responsibility seriously. How are we building into one another? What are we doing in such a way that will help that other person grow into the man or woman of God that God has intended for us? Outside of my parents, probably the most impactful people in my life have been my youth pastors. That's why I get great joy in working with Abby and Conrad, our, our youth pastors here, and remind them of the powerful impact that their lives have on others. I went to a large church in the west end of the city, and there were over 200 people who had come to our Sunday morning youth service, about 75 to 100 youth on Friday nights. And it was strange to me, and yet a blessing, that my junior high youth pastor would meet with me one-on-one -on -one every single week for about a three-month stretch. And he would drive from the west end of Edmonton, my parents lived in the north end, and he would make that 30, 35 minute hike week after week. And he was doing that because he believed in me. He was building me up, he was encouraging me, he saw something in me that was worth him giving his time to. When our youth group launched this idea of a Sunday morning youth worship service, uh, I was asked to be the host of that service. I didn't know what I was doing. I was in grade 10 or grade 11. I'd stand up, I'd tell a joke, talk about the most recent score in the Oilers game, get people to laugh, and then hand it over to the team. But what I didn't realize is that my three youth pastors at the time were giving me these stretch assignments. And they were building into me, encouraging me, because they saw something in me that was worth honing and shaping. Eventually, they asked me to lead a small group of uh, other high school students while I was still in high school myself. Then they asked me to lead a devotional on Friday night. They invited me to work with the leadership team to plan and develop the Friday night youth events. And this whole time, they were building into me slowly. When I was in grade 12, one of the other youth pastors met with me one-on-one, -on -one, and he wanted to challenge me because he thought that there was something there. And he said, Dave, I want you to read the whole Bible and every week we're gonna talk about the chapters you've read. 
Then he would challenge me to go back to my high school and talk to my friends about Jesus, none of whom were Christians. And so when these three people came to me and said, David, it's time for you to go to Bible college, I said, well, you've been building into me for the last six years. I guess that's what I need to do next. But I never wanted to go. Do you think about the impact that you have? For those of you who are youth leaders, for those of you who work upstairs with our kids, do you realize the impact that you have in changing their lives? They're not gonna remember everything you say, they're not gonna remember all the lessons you teach them, but do you recognize that they are looking to you as someone who is wise, who is insightful? And for some of our youth, you might be the only person who listens to them all week long. Now this isn't a sermon just about youth ministry. Think about some of the other areas and places where we see people grow. I asked Ben's permission to share this story and he allowed me to do it. A couple years ago, Ben and his wife Nandri uh, came to our church and uh, we ended up going for coffee and I got to know them a little bit and asked them where they wanted to get connected and involved and uh, they wanted to be involved in a small group and Ben said, you know, I, I like to be on the worship team as well. So I introduced him to um, Tim or Colton, I don't remember at the time, and uh, eventually Ben was on the platform and he was singing. And I still remember his first couple Sundays, the mic was in his hand and, and he'd sing like this. And people recognized he had this great voice and there was real potential there and Tim and Colton continued to build into him and eventually that hand moved from inside the pocket to outside the pocket. And eventually it moved from beside his leg up into the air. And this morning, Ben was leading us in worship while Colton's out in Saskatchewan for a wedding. And you start to see what happens when we build into one another and to build each other up. What about you? How are you going to get involved? In a sermon series on courageous community, what's your role? Are you thinking, Dave, I would love somebody to build into me? Then fill out a connecting card in the pew racks in front of you. If you're online, the host will put a connecting card right there for you to sign into. And say, I would like to be a part of a small group. I would like to be a part of a triad. I would like to be a part of serving in this community in some way, shape, or form. Others of you might be thinking, you know, I'm, I'm a fairly mature Christian. We need you to lead we need you to grab two other guys or two other girls and say, hey, let's go through this discipleship book together. Let's see what God has in store for you and let's see your life radically transformed for the glory and the beauty of Jesus. Wherever you are, whatever your stage of life, God has a plan for you. He's inviting you into courageous community and we wanna see Ellerslie radically transformed. I ended up going to Bible college for a year, and I can't describe how much fun I had. The guys on my, in my dorm were great. The soccer team was amazing. That probably helped a lot, and it was a whole lot of fun. I went to a Bible college that was in Regina at the time. It's now moved to Calgary, and it had a one-year discipleship plan. If you're familiar with Cape and Ray or YWAM, it was similar to that, but it was in a Bible college. And so we were there for a few months, and by the time we hit February, it was time to go on the mission trip. And so I signed up to go to downtown Vancouver. So I hopped on a plane from Regina to Vancouver and we ended up in um, working with this church and, and doing a whole bunch of things with inner city mission. We were giving out food on the street. We were working with people who needed a hand up. We were able to do a number of different things, working with a number of different organizations. And it was really impactful for me. The pastor who was leading this, or, um, this mission trip, his name was Darcy. I have never spoken to him in the 20 years since this happened. 
And yet the words that he said to me to encourage me has changed my life and transformed my trajectory for the last two decades. There were about a dozen of us on the trip and the uh, 11 others went with one of the other leaders and Darcy pulled me aside and took me out for coffee or something I don't exactly remember. And he looked at me and he said, Dave, do you realize that God has his hand on your life? Do you realize that God is calling you to be a pastor, not an accountant, so go back to Bible college and figure it out? And I was thinking, I don't know if I want to do this. But because my youth pastor's built into me, because somebody saw something in me, for the last 20 years I have dedicated myself to full-time working in a church. Encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. I think this world that we live in has forgotten how to encourage. We're really good at fighting. We're really good at disagreeing. We're really good at making comments on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. But do we remember how to encourage? As powerful as it is to just say, hey, great job today. I think we can even take that a step further. With how Darcy saw something in me and pulled me aside and said it. Can we look at a neighbor, a family member, a coworker, somebody at the church and say, this is what I see in your life. This is what I believe God has called you to do and it's special. Or I can look at Vicki, our brand new first impressions coordinator and say, Vicki, the way that you engage with your first impressions team is a sight to behold. You love them. You encourage them. You ask them questions about themselves. You remember what's happening in their family and in their personal life. That is awesome. Keep on doing it. My friends, as far as application go, this is as simple as it gets. And it can change somebody's life. This doesn't have to be just at church either. One of the songs we sing regularly here in the second service is the world needs Jesus. How can you be God's mouthpiece his hands and feet when you go back to your community, when you go back to school, when you go back to work, to encourage somebody in a way that maybe no one has encouraged them before? Is there a neighbor who goes out of her way to help others and you can be a blessing to her? Is there a teacher at your school who everybody just loves but maybe he or she doesn't know that? Do you have that one friend who just goes above and beyond over and over and over again? How life-changing would it be if we were a church that says, we're not gonna wait for somebody to die before we say nice things. We're gonna go out and we're gonna be a blessing to everybody. Courageous community means we need to encourage everyone. There's also a calling to respect church leadership. This is verses 12 and 13. We ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, to esteem them very highly in love because of their work, be at peace among yourselves. Straight up, this makes me uncomfortable. Not because I don't believe it to be true, but because of how humbled I am to lead a church. If you have any interest in cultural Christianity, there is this great podcast going on right now called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Mars Hill was a church that rose to prominence in the early 2000s and really took North America by storm over the following decade. The lead pastor of the church, Mark Driscoll, is an incredibly brilliant man. He's charismatic. He's a gifted speaker. And over a course of 10 years, thousands and thousands and thousands of people came to faith and got baptized. And his impact wasn't just in North America. It was around the world. But the methods were a little bit questionable. 
If you choose to listen to the podcast, which is exceptionally well done, you'll hear this constant tension in almost every episode. Life change. But at what cost? What do we do with stories of Jim Baker, of Bill Hybels, of Ravi Zacharias, and others who have done great things for the glory of God, but have abused their power in a way that does not bring God glory? What about our own church history and the split that happened about 10 years ago? Respect church leadership. Are we as a church living lives that make it easy for you to do that? While the church family learned about the succession plan about a year ago at this time, the months leading up to that, I was in constant conversations with Pastor Mel, our previous lead pastor, and, and Kurt, our board chair. And I would go up to them in these conversations and I would say, are you sure I'm the right guy? You could throw a stone and hit five people who are smarter than me. I'm sure there's lots of people who are better speakers. I'm sure you want somebody who's that extroverted visionary, not an introverted administrator. I'm certain these ideas were discussed behind closed doors. Yeah, interviews happened and town hall meetings took place and a vote eventually um, happened last February and the congregation decided, we want Dave. Friends, it is incredibly humbling to be your lead pastor. Ten years ago, I was leaving a church of 200 to be the lead pastor of a rural church of 40. <laughs> Things have changed a little bit. Your encouragement to me and my wife, Jenna, over the last number of months has been incredible. The succession plan has taken place during a really fascinating time in world history. We're coming out of a pandemic. We're looking into hybrid ministry. How do we serve those who are watching and engaging online and those who are in person and to do both really, really well? Are we making good decisions in the midst of a pandemic or are we messing up from time to time? And yet the patience, the love, the encouragement has been beautiful. The author of Hebrews writes this in chapter 13. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. I hope I live in a life that is worth following. Thank you for the respect that you've shown to me and to my wife. Last week I was installed as your new lead pastor. And Kurt Johnston, our board chair, stood on the platform and he said, hey, if you can think of ways to encourage Dave and Jen over the next week, we would, we would love for you to do so. And people sent some really nice words and encouragement and texts. Someone last week paid for a babysitter so Jenna and I could go out on a date. And someone else sent a, a bouquet of flowers to me and Jenna. And my, voice, my wife's voice went up three octaves. She was so happy that things people thought that way. And it was really quite nice of the family to do that. Enough about the lead pastor. The purpose of writing this was that community loyalty is the best defense against the attack from outsiders. The purpose in Paul writing this is community loyalty is the best defense against attack from outsiders. Leadership is difficult at the best of times. It's downright miserable if nobody wants to follow. How can we bless our leaders? A couple weeks ago, Sid Coop was standing here and he was talking about our youth leaders. And, uh, and so I talked with Abby and Conrad and I said, guys, tell me, how many youth leaders do we actually have? And the three of us were meeting in my office and they said, 37. I said, we have 37 youth leaders? And Conrad, in kind of his understated way, goes, dude, I don't even know what to do when people come to a volunteer anymore. 
So how can we bless them? Maybe you have kids in youth ministry. Maybe you have grandkids in youth ministry. Maybe youth ministry impacted your life so much that you say, I just want to bless these people. Can you write them an encouragement note? Maybe stick in a $5 Tim's card and just say, hey, thanks for leading my kids. We so appreciate what you do. Did you know that of our three biggest ministries outside of kids and youth are all led by volunteers? Ladies Morning Out, Freedom Session, Alpha, all led by women who have full-time jobs or full-time moms or retired. And they are giving themselves hours and hours and hours a week to make this happen, none of whom are paid for what they do. I'm sure they would love verbal encouragement and thanks for the work that they're doing, but I think one of the best ways we can bless them is to invite people to check out these ministries, to invite other women to come to Ladies Morning Out and say, hey, we've got childcare, come, we're gonna go through a book study, it might be really biblically based, it might be kind of more of an entry-level place, come check it out. Last week, we had our congregational meeting and I was asked by the board to give a little bit of a, um, where are we as a church with our strategic direction, what's our vision, where are we going, those sorts of things. One of our strategic directions here at the church is called I4. We want to be people of influence. We're going to encourage everybody. We want to be people of influence who invite, who include, who invest. And friends, right over here, we have a baptism tank. And I want to see that baptism tank filled up every single month. That we would see people whose lives are transformed by Jesus because we are people of influence in our community, in our uh, circles of influence, telling people about the good news of Jesus, inviting them to check him out and recognizing how powerful he can transform our lives. And that we as a church would see the radical transformation. And as we continue to encourage and build one another up, we would say, that's what this is all about. Life change is happening. And we have freedom session. And people are coming to Jesus and they're meeting Jesus and they're saying, okay, I still got some crap in my life I need to deal with. Carol, are we still opening for, free, for freedom session? And you can wait until next year. You can just get people excited for next September. It's gonna be great. How do, can we respect our leaders to show them we're grateful for what they're doing and the lives that are being transformed? You know, there's 12 leaders in our church we almost never talk about. Our board works so hard behind the scenes. They meet every month. They're reading through lots of reports. They're part of committees, and they're the ones behind the scenes who are working so hard for the health and the blessing of our church. And if you know who our board members are, you can thank them for their work, and you can pray for them, and I know they'd appreciate that. The Thessalonians are doing good work, but they're tired. They're culturally marginalized. And Paul is writing these closing thoughts to encourage them in what they're already doing. Encourage everyone, he says, respect church leadership and pursue goodness. This is verses 14 to 15. We urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. The church in Thessalonica is good, but it isn't perfect. I mentioned a little bit earlier how this is written about 15 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And a couple of people thought, well, you know, life is really hard. We're facing a lot of persecution here. Maybe Jesus is going to come back. 
tomorrow. And so they've just stopped working. They believe so strongly that Jesus was the Messiah, the Savior of the world, that he would come back immediately. So they thought, why waste the rest of our time at our day jobs? 2,000 years have passed, and we recognize we should probably spend a little bit of time at our day jobs. We need to put food on the table. We need to put a roof over our heads. But there's still a principle to be applied here. Nowhere in Scripture do we see this idea of retirement Now, by no means am I expecting an 80-year-old to work 50 hours a week, but what does courageous community look like at the life stage you find yourself in right now? It would be easy for me to just give a list of ideas, but you guys are smarter than that. When you think about how God has made you, when you think about your spiritual gifts, when you think about the passions you have, when you think about your God-given abilities, when you think about your personality, when you think about your life experiences, how has God shaped you? How has God created you? Earlier in the service, we saw Kelsey give the announcements and Russ, who's our executive director of operations, is, uh, is doing a class called Unique. Russ is passionate about people finding their place in the church. And he's a gifted teacher in small groups. And I think this, for many of you, would be a great place to start. It's only six weeks long, so it's not a super long commitment. Chance to get to know Russ, get to know a few other people in the church, and to find out, where do I belong? How can I serve in courageous community in some way? Do I get to be part of a group, lead a group, serve in tech? Where is your place? How can you pursue goodness right now? frustrations were starting to come to the surface between those inside the church and outside the church, especially as persecution started to ramp up. And you know, one way, thought the Thessalonians, to stop persecution, beat them up. (laughs) I wish I was making that up. That's not true. (laughs) This is what they did. If people were persecuting them, they figured, well, we'll just um, fight them back. We will stand up for ourselves with our fists. And the apostle Paul is saying, guys, 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 guys. That's not how it works. But if you're unfamiliar with this idea of eye for an eye, it's fascinating stuff. Right from the beginning of human history, people are always trying to one-up one another. If you break my finger, I'm going to come and I'm going to break two of your fingers. And then you're going to break my hand, and then I'm going to get my big brother to come, and he's going to break your hand and give you a black eye. And so Moses, right after the Ten Commandments, says this in Exodus chapter 21, if there's any serious injury, you're to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. And so if I'm not mature enough after you give me a black eye to forgive you, I get to pop you one back, you get a black eye, and it's over. But what had been given as a restrictive law through human traditions has been transformed into a permissive rule. Did he catch that? What has been given as a restrictive law through human traditions had been transformed into a permissive rule. So the Thessalonians thought, if they hurt us, we'll just hurt them back. But Moses was never the final word here. Solomon, Israel's wisest king, writes in Proverbs 25, if your enemy is hungry, give him food. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, emphasizes this as well. We're to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. And the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Rome, says, love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. How do we pursue goodness? 
Throughout church history, we have, Christians have done an amazing job building wells for clean water, building schools, building orphanages, and serving people around the world. Where it's a little bit more difficult to just go in and talk about Jesus, they go in with justice missions. A place like Samaritan's Purse can get in to many countries and places around the world that missionaries can't go in just to talk about Jesus. They go in with justice first and love following. What does it look like for you to pursue goodness? Is there a neighbor who just needs a little bit of extra love? Is there a church member you know of who recently had a surgery, had a baby, spouse is out of town, and they would just love somebody to visit or to bring them a casserole dish. This past week, uh, I did not take Thursday off. I had to write a sermon, was part of a couple meetings. But I was thinking regularly throughout the day, okay, what does this idea of truth and reconciliation look like in my own life? What's the next step for our church in that way? Friday morning, first thing, an indigenous man comes in looking for help. And friends, our church staff responded beautifully. One of our staff members immediately brought, brought him a cup of coffee. Another staff member literally took the, <laughs> the uh, hoodie off of her back to hand it to this man just to keep him warm. One of our other staff members ran down to um, the local store, bought him some socks and a couple bus passes. And we thought, how do we love the person who's right in front of us right now? What about you? How are you going to pursue goodness? How are you going to love the people that God places right in front of you? How is the world going to know that you are a follower of Jesus? You know, we wrap up this whole series on courageous community, and I hope that you want to be involved. And maybe you're thinking, Dave, I want to be more than involved. This is exciting stuff. I want to become a member here. We're going to have a membership class in a couple of weeks, and at the membership class, we talk about all sorts of stuff. We actually talk about this one another idea. We talk about our strategic directions and where we're going as a church, and one of the things about being a member is we want to know that all of us are believing the same thing. And so we ask people to sign our statement of faith and, and understand what, what it means and what it looks like. And we say things like, we believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness so that the people of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We talk about the person of Jesus who, upon arriving here on earth, is both fully God and fully man at the very same time was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, and is one day coming back. And people get excited, and they nod their head, and they go, yep, I believe that, that's great. And I love talking about theology, because I think that it's way more than just about our head knowledge. And one of my favorite things to do when we start talking about um, what we believe as followers of Jesus is, okay, how does it make the journey from our head to our heart? One of the tenets, one of the doctrines of Christianity is this idea of the Trinity. We believe in one God who exists eternally in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How does that impact our lives? It impacts our lives because God himself is showing us what courageous community looks like. You all have masks on, so I don't know if I'll hear you out loud, but sometimes it's fun to say really long, big theological terms. You ready? Perichoresis. 
Huh? Yeah, that was awful. But hey, good try, everybody. Perichoresis, where the life of each of the persons of the Godhead flows through each of the others, as so each sustains the other. This beautiful picture of courageous community happened way before anybody was, any humans were ever created. And the Godhead himself said to one another, you know what would be great? If we created humanity so they might enjoy courageous community with us. So God created Adam and Eve and all of humanity. This idea though of perichoresis is beautiful. When we worship God the Father, Jesus and the Holy Spirit say, way to go, Dad. When we pray for the Holy Spirit to fill us with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, humility, and self-control, the Father and the Son say, well done, Holy Spirit, for changing somebody's life. And when people come to believe in Jesus and have their lives radically transformed in him, the Father and the Spirit say, way to go, Son. There's this beautiful encouragement that takes place within the Godhead and our Father, Son, and Spirit are inviting us to take part and saying, when you become a follower of Jesus, will you engage in radical, one another, courageous community? Will you see life transformation take place where we encourage everybody, where whoever is standing behind this pulpit, it doesn't matter because Jesus Christ is the king of the church. And how do we know we should pursue goodness? That beautiful verse by the Apostle Paul, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why? So that we might be invited into a perfect relationship with Jesus and engage in courageous community for all of eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this sermon series. Thank you for the leadership of the church who put this together not just with a beautiful description, but this idea that we would become radically belonging to one another. And God, there's everybody who's present in, in person and online is at a different place in their spiritual journey, some already super involved, some not so much. So God, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help everyone in this church have meaningful relationships that we would see life transformation, that there would be an encouragement of one another, that our church leadership would be worth following, men and women of great integrity who love Jesus deeply and who serve passionately, and that we as a church would pursue goodness and courageous community would be a part of our very DNA, and that we would see life transformation and the kingdom of heaven continue to grow because of your work in us. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.